You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to the Thunderquack Podcast Quarantine Zone. Uh, I am your host, Michael Cohen, and I know, I know I've been absent for a little while. Of course, I haven't been absent. You can catch catch me over on the regular Thunderquack Podcast, as well as Rebel Cells. We had the, the finale of uh, uh, Clone Wars a couple weeks ago, and... Uh, uh, and then technical difficulties uh, of all kinds, and just life has been uh, hectic as usual. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so this this got dropped by the wayside. But we're back this week, uh, and I've got a, a new guest, uh, someone that uh, you know. If you've been listening to Thunderquack for a while, then you've definitely heard this individual in the past uh, come on to talk about and review some. Uh, generally what we thought would be awful movies that ended up being great movies um but uh yeah i one of my one of my oldest friends one of my favorite people uh aaron golden how's it going hey it goes good how are you doing huh, not too bad not too bad uh and today we're gonna talk about we're just gonna talk about dc comics just in general, uh, obviously we're going to talk about the Snyder Cut, uh, but we're also going to talk about you know Wonder Woman being delayed. We're going to talk about um, I, just the sort of uh, uh, chaotic state of of the Warner Brothers owned property that is DC Comics, and uh, it is madness right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but let's start with the Snyder Cut. Obviously, like that's huge news on the latest Thunderquack podcast, uh, Uncut edition um uh amanda and i were talking on monday obviously two days before the uh the official word came through and i was i was still remaining skeptical and the reason i was remaining skeptical is because there had been scuttlebutt i think three or four times previous to this round and nothing ever came of it those other times so i was like look it's not news until it's news and i'm also as a star wars fan i think that that tends to just be my my uh, general uh, modus operandi is uh it's not it's not news until it's news right until yeah until you see it on the official star wars.com website uh it's just a rumor um uh, and you know sometimes those rumors pan out. Oftentimes they actually end up being being somewhat true. There's a piece of truth in them, but uh, but more often than than not, uh, uh, they're not entirely accurate. So we talked about it before. As as much as the Snyder Cut was inevitable and obvious and 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 clearly existed because of the nature of the way that that film was shot. Um, whether or not we were we were finally going to get it or not uh, uh, remained to be seen. But now we know we are either getting... <laughs> this is the thing that I love about it, is that they finally come out and they say, yes, it's going to be on HBO Max. You're going to get it in 2021. Um, we're committing $20 million, 20 to $30 million <laughs> of uh, uh, 
special effects and and uh, I I would assume that score is in that. I would assume that there's p- a potential for some reshoots. Um, uh, we'll we'll kind of see what that ends up being. But I'm uh, deeply curious. It's about the, where this is going to go and how they're going to run it. And yeah. if Ben Affleck is going to come back and reprise yeah. the most interesting Batman that we have, we yeah. have seen committed to film. Um, but it's either going to be a four hour movie, which would be an interesting uh, uh, thing on its own, or it's going to be a six part miniseries on HBO Max. Uh, the fact that they don't have their story straight yet. <laughs> And it's yet, kind of typical of a yeah, DC property. It's it it's so funny that they're like, we're gonna make this announcement. We don't know what the announcement is exactly. We have kind of a vague idea of what it is that we're announcing, and here's some of those possibilities. <laughs> and it's like that's not really not really an announcement, but the graphics that they did are cool. <laughs> Where it's like Zack Snyder's or the Snyder Cut Justice League or whatever. There's um, a lot of that going around lately, just yeah. in terms of like people throwing con- like just a single graphic out and being like, "Don't worry, this is coming." Like Nintendo did that with Metroid Four, yeah, uh, Metroid Prime Four. They were like, "Oh no, it's coming." Nothing since <laughs> that was uh, like a that was like two years ago, wasn't that like two, two three years ago? ago? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dragon Age Four got announced with a trailer that would only make sense to Dragon Age fans. Yeah, that was again just a still image, and now DC is jumping on the bandwagon, and it's you know there's an argument to be made for not giving us trailers that uh, expose everything that is going to happen in your in your film or whatever it is that you're producing, but at the mm-hmm. same time. Give us something. Well, or yeah, like like don't don't announce things until there's something to announce. I, and 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 I will say, like they obviously have been trying to figure this out for a while, and this has been kind of going around for the mm-hmm. last year or so. Um. Uh, so so they did wait until they had concrete plans, but it, it's I uh, uh, here's here's my thing. Mm-hmm. I know that there are some people out there who are like, finally, finally, we're going to get the real movie that Zack Snyder intended. Okay. All right. Yes. That might be a true statement. That doesn't mean that it's going to be any good. No. Zack Snyder released the movie that he intended when he released Batman v Superman. Uh-huh. Right? That's his cut. That movie is problematic to say the least <laughs> like there well, are Zack, Zack Snyder in general right yeah. it's he did 300 and 300 was revolutionary for its time and based on a Frank Miller comic and blah 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 yeah. uh, but his follow-up was Sucker Punch and Sucker Punch is visually stunning yep and emotionally like empty and on a character level incredibly problematic yeah yeah it so... also doesn't make any sense at all and yeah i don't i don't i don't see this being i see it being a brighter movie i see it being like visually stunning but Zack snyder is kind of like michael bay if michael bay were a little bit geekier yeah um if michael bay actually uh had had any familiarity with the properties that he was turning into films um but here's here is the thing that i'll give Zack snyder on this and the benefit of the doubt on this um, he does have the added 
benefit of of hindsight mm-hmm. right the movie came out <laughs> and <laughs> people didn't like it because newsflash justice league is a hot mess oh yeah um so you know i it, it's there's there's a certain element there where where you can you can kind of look at it and go well as long as he as long as he can learn from the mistakes that that movie made a movie that, that grew out of his movie. Right. I mean, like, it's not like they reshot the whole thing. They, they reshot a significant portion of it, but, uh, it's, it's actually, it's, I think it's one of the biggest reshoots in the history of Hollywood. Um, yeah. so it, it's like, like they, like Joss Whedon changed that movie significantly and like, <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing with DC and their choices. I, I okay. Uh, Zack Snyder is out for for uh, uh, personal family reasons, and uh, 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 totally understandable. Totally, I think reasonable, and I think actually uh, somewhat admirable. Because I don't, I don't know that every filmmaker would make the decision that he made. I um, totally agree. Yeah. I think Zach right I think Zack Snyder is a stand-up human being. Yeah. I think this is proof of that. I, yeah, and, and and that's what that is one of my things, right? Is that I will look look, Batman v Superman is a mess. Yeah. I I <laughs> it, and Batman behaves in a way unbecoming of a Batman. Uh like you said, so one of the most Superman. interesting interpretations of this character. I yeah. am Batman. I follow the Batman code. I'm really mad at Superman for killing people. Um I'm going to destroy police cars with my machine gun tank. Yes. Uh, like um, these things are incongruous. Uh I'm going to punch a guy so hard that his head goes into the ground. <laughs> that man is dead. You killed that man with your hands. That man, he's no, his neck is not broken. No, he's not paralyzed. That man is dead. He died. He died when you did that to him. The other guy that you put a grapnel into and then launched into a wall, he's also dead. Like, it wasn't me that killed him. It was the exploding flamethrower backpack that killed him. No, no, no. You, you made that. that happen. Yes, take, you did it in the name of, of heroics, but you did that. You, Batman, did that. See, um, the interesting thing about that, though, is that you've got the Batman in that movie is interesting. Mm-hmm. The Bruce Wayne in that movie is fascinating. Yeah. Everything that Ben Affleck does as Bruce Wayne is interesting. Um, and it's the thing that sort of struck me about that is it's almost the exact opposite of every other Batman movie. Yeah. Yeah. Where Bruce Wayne is like passable if you're Michael Keaton, but I mean Val Kilmer did nothing with Bruce. George, the less said about George Clooney, the better. Um, Christian Bale was interesting, but Christian Bale was very much I am Batman pretending to be Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Ben Affleck yeah. was I am 007. I am a multimillionaire who happens to be an international spy, and I do Batman on the side. Yeah. And. Yeah. I mean, that was that was an incredibly interesting take and like nothing we'd ever seen before. But his Batman was awful. Mm-hmm. His Bruce Wayne was incredible. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a it's such a it's such an interesting thing because it's it's a lot like the it's it's a lot like Zack Snyder's interpretation of Superman, where mm-hmm. um, 
I mean, Henry Cavill, I think, is inspired casting. I think that he is perfect as as Superman. No um, argument at all. Um, like, and and we got a movie. We got a movie that spent its whole two and a half ish hour runtime setting up Superman's moral code, why he he ends up being the Superman that we will come to know, mm-hmm. right? Um, as well as the Clark Kent of it all and the Daily Planet and all of that stuff, right? It's it, like the yeah. whole movie spends – it is one of those things where it's like DC – and this is where we'll start to get into more of the DC conversation and less about Zack Snyder and the Snyder Cut specifically. Yeah. DC made a decision coming off of Batman, the the Dark Knight trilogy, the, the Nolan verse, of like, well, we're going to give Superman another go and – we want it to be sort of along the same lines of what we tried to do with Batman, um, where we tried to make it more grounded, tried to make it more realistic. And so make it darker. Yeah. With bat with Batman, you end up with a weird ninja samurai superhero movie with a little bit of a sci-fi, uh, vibe to it. But really at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's this weird Ronin samurai story right well there's yeah but superman is superman is a very different character than batman Batman, yeah there's a lot more leeway yeah because when you break the 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 trinity of characters down the the dc trinity it's batman wonder woman superman um but all of them bring very different elements and tell very different stories and batman is a lot of people are like batman is about revenge and no Revenge is part of it, but it's not the core of the character. Mm-hmm. If it was, after he got Joe Chill or Jack Napier or whoever killed his parents in whatever reality you're dealing with, um, he stops, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's avenging the thing. Um, but he doesn't. Batman continues to be Batman because of the the real core of the character is Batman saw his parents die. He saw his parents die by gunfire in front of him when he was a young boy and decided that the best response to this was to throw himself in front of all the bullets forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the core of the Batman character is a story about protection. With Superman, it's about hope. And particularly over the past, I would say, 40, 50 years, um, as a culture, Western society has struggled with the concept of hope. We don't really get it. And what we're taught, what writers are taught is, is you know, like the main character uh, has to move. There has to be a story with the main character and the character has to be threatened. But you can't threaten Superman. He's Superman. The entire point of Superman is that Superman is going to win and Superman is more powerful than anything. Um... A Superman story, a good Superman story is either about the culture around him or the people that Superman cares about, Mm -hmm. uh, which tends to be ultimately everybody. Um, Like if I'm I'm the first like big Superman story that really comes to mind for me is Bloodsport um, or Bloodshot, uh, which was like a Vietnam vet uh, running around uh, and had like a teleporter thing where he could teleport these crazy sci-fi weapons in and just shoot people um and superman stopped him by getting to the core of his trauma and helping him yeah um the 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 couple of 
Superman stories that have dealt with suicide, uh, where it's the woman who's going to throw herself off the building and Superman doesn't go and like grab her off the building and like bring her to safety, but just sits in the air with her and talks with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the the very infamous uh, "What's so funny about truth, justice, in the American way," um, where they really approached it in the comics and then in the movie Superman versus the Elite. Uh, this idea that well, maybe maybe people aren't interested in hope anymore, um, and that I don't think is accurate. I think that there's a disconnect where people struggle to understand what what superman represents and how to tell a superman story because it's not it's not standard superman superman's arch nemesis um isn't better than he is by any metric um if you look at uh, other super super villains for other characters like even even go to batman batman's super villain is big arch nemesis is the joker which is uh sort of the inversion of the character yeah. Um, yeah. with most superheroes that's what that that super villain the arch nemesis is it's a slightly more powerful skewed version of the character that we know uh unbound by a moral compass and lex luther cannot physically fight superman it is not going to happen um and the whole basis of Lex is he's so offended by the possibility that this alien might be better than he is, that he, he can't help but lashing out. Lex Luthor without Superman would be one of the best people on the planet, is the argument that Lex Luthor would give you to justify all of the stuff that he does. Um, so when Man of Steel came out and started getting into, into the darkness of applying like sort of a grim reboot to Superman. There's a lot of stuff that it did right and a lot of stuff where it just kind of left me hanging. Um, but I still liked it. And I thought it needed another movie to sort of establish this idea that no, Superman does stand for hope and that people trust Superman. Because BVS, um, people suddenly loved Superman when everybody kind of hated him in Man of Steel. Like, we needed a Man of Steel, too, where he suddenly, like, wins over the public, where he does become that inspiring figure. Um, because there's no reason that we've been given for anybody to trust him in, in BBS. And yet, that's what people do? I don't know. It was another narrative fallacy for me. No, see, no. In, in, in BVS, it, it's it, everybody hates him, right? And then it's in Justice League where all of a sudden... Oh, because right. he died, right. everybody loves him. Yeah. Right. Oh God, I hate that trope. I hate it so much. But also, like, like I, I don't know. I think that having everybody hate Superman was the was the wrong move. Like, I think I like the idea of of Batman disliking Superman and thinking like like along the same lines. There's a this is this is where it all kind of boils down to, right? Is that like Zack Snyder I think had the the nugget, the core of a great idea, which is to show that Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor are actually not that different. They think the same way about about a lot of things, but their motivations and the way that they go about them are different, right? 
So the idea that Lex Luthor is a millionaire and, and look, I, I will go on record. Uh, the, the interpretation of Lex Luthor that is in Batman V Superman is for my money, the absolute worst interpretation of that character in the history of, of anything, anything of, of DC comics. There is not a worse interpretation of that character. The it's, Super Friends version of Lex Luthor is more menacing. Yeah, it, it's it's so weird and I think like like out of joint with the rest of the movie, with the rest of this universe that was being crafted around it. Um, and Jesse Eisenberg's performance is... I'm sorry, but it's super awful. Like it's just it's just not good. It, like it feels about as bad as it feels about as in place as the Jared Leto Joker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it does. They, they, yeah, they're very much one in the same. Um, and it, it's 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 interesting that those two things are similar because I. Uh, like those two characters are similar because because it is I think it's it's what happens when your hero is his own worst enemy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think with both both that Batman and that Superman, that is the case is that like Zod is not the enemy in Man of Steel. He he's his own enemy in Man of Steel. Right. Like yeah. it's, he's got to overcome all of these weird hangups that he has because Again, like similar to to the interpretation of Lex Luthor, I think the interpretation of Jonathan Kent is also way off. I wouldn't yeah, necessarily oh God, say yes. that it's like that. It's not as bad as that interpretation of Lex, but but I think the core problem is very similar, which is if your heroes, if your heroes are are that flawed, heroes should be flawed. Heroes should have issues, right? Mm-hmm. But but if they are as flawed as the the Snyder verse superheroes are then uh the bad guys never have to lift a finger and that that is actually kind of the point of of the lex luther in batman v superman is that he actually does very little to instigate the fight between bruce wayne to be between batman and superman right yeah. like it's it's all part of his plan but he doesn't really have to it's a nudge like it's it's just the tiniest nudge to get Bruce to move in that direction right and uh, that plot only works so long as Superman never does anything to stop it right because if Superman did anything to stop it if he ever took any kind of action in a movie with his name in the title then the movie (laughs) would have ended after like minute 12 right if he had taken like a second yeah like a second to sit down and talk with Bruce like an adult like that movie would not have happened. Yeah. And he didn't. And I like I even know where that was coming from, like on a on a directorial level, um, because they were trying to play off of the quote unquote successes of the new fifty two, uh <laughs> which yeah. I think they lost what was it, twenty three point five percent of their readership in the first year of the new fifty two. Like it it was not good. Um and the new 52 was rooted in that that same sort of like well let's let's be dark and gritty and realistic and kind of do like the whole what what marvel is doing and what worked for batman begins but batman begins the realistic darkness worked because it's batman 
And that ties to the narrative threads of his character, and it doesn't work for Superman because that's not what Superman is about. If you had established the 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 Ben Affleck Batman beforehand, um, we might have been able to to like that movie a little more. Um, but they hadn't. They decided to move straight into Avengers territory, and then they brought in Whedon to to replace Zack right, Zack Snyder, Zack Ryder. Sorry, um, it's been a weird week. Um, yeah, they brought in uh, Joss because, you know, Avengers had just done really well. Uh, but Joss hasn't aged particularly well, <laughs> um, yeah. is one yeah. of the things that uh, has been dis- discovered. And I don't know if you've talked about it, but I know we've talked about it. Um, and he was not, I think, the right person to bring on this. Um, there's tying this to warner brothers in a weird way uh way back when uh there was a guy named vince russo that uh was the head writer for the wwe the the world wrestling entertainment company and uh he took a lot of credit for being the guy that that uh, brought them back into the limelight after they had nearly gone bankrupt and really actually had gone bankrupt but managed to calm their way into continuing to exist um, but Warner Brothers caught wind of him and offered him a bunch of money, and he jumped ship. And um, they put him in charge of writing for their wrestling organization, a company called World Championship Wrestling, and he bankrupted the company in about a year. Um, and it's because he didn't, A, he didn't really understand what he was doing, but B, that didn't matter when he was at the WWE because there were other people that he was answerable to. Hmm. <clears throat> And there were, it didn't feel like there was anybody that Joss was answerable to for, for this, or even Snyder. It was just like, okay, we, we let Nolan do his thing and we let him kind of run wild and he gave us like the best thing ever. So let's, let's capitalize on that and we're going to respect your, your artistic vision and sort of give a, a hands-off approach and go nuts. And Man of Steel... Visually speaking, again, because Zack Snyder, to his credit, is one of the most visually stunning directors uh, working today, um, worked. And it worked because of those strong visuals and because Amy Adams is incredible and because Henry uh, Cavell is an incredible Superman. And they, they told a cohesive story, and that story was like nothing we'd seen on, on film. Like the closest we we got to that final battle uh, in Superman was maybe like Matrix Revolutions, but I mean it was so much bigger than anything that uh, the Wachowskis did in that movie that it was captivating and it was still controversial, but it worked. Um, all of that fell apart in BVS, mm-hmm. and it might continue to fall apart in the Snyder Cut, and I don't. I don't know how they're going to make it work just given the base bones that you're working. Cause I mean, the story can't be radically different. I think we can have like some different character moments and different character beats, but I think bar by and large, we're still going to get Steppenwolf who was an incredibly non-threatening villain. Um, we've still got to get like everybody in one place, which also is just kind of a mess. 
um, they still need to introduce a bunch of characters that really need their own movies to, so we have like some established idea of who they are. Um, I, I'm almost, if they're going to spend the 20, 30 million and turn it into a mini series, I would almost say like, pretend that the movie hadn't come out yet and play off of both Wonder Woman and Aquaman. Because Wonder Woman and Aquaman were great movies. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that I think that Wonder Woman is a is a very uh, competent movie. I think that it it um, it definitely benefits from the rest of the DCEU being a, a total mess. Yeah, um, I I think that Aquaman has some really fun elements to it, but I also <laughs> think that. I think that Aquaman uh, suffers from a lot of the same problems that the rest of the DCU does. Um, I mean, when we get to the end of that film, and uh, and you've got the whole the whole thing, the whole argument that everybody's making is like uh, the the what is it? There's like the eight kingdoms of uh, seven kingdoms of the ocean or whatever. Yeah. Uh, for the seven seas. And, yep. and they're all like, Hey, ocean masters, like, Hey guys, like j- join me because like the earth, the surface dwellers, they're destroying the planet. So like, let's, let's gather together. We are more powerful than they are. We're more, we're more technologically advanced. We're just physically better than they are. Yeah. We can, we can subjugate them and, and put the world back into balance. Right. Yeah. That's the whole thing. And then, I uh, Mara is like, well, I'm gonna go get get Arthur because he's he's of both worlds and he'll he'll lead Atlantis and he'll balance things, right? Like he'll he'll get everybody, like the surface and the yeah, the surface and 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 the 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 ocean dwellers can all can all coexist because he has a foot in both worlds. And then it's like, yeah, but he doesn't have a foot in your world, <laughs> other than Willem Dafoe being like, I'm not the Green Goblin here's how you use a trident. Um, and then you get to the end of the movie where he's like, Hey man, um, I'm the, I'm the aqua man, man. You're a bat. I dig it. Uh, he's, he's just being Jason Momoa about it. Yeah. And you're like, okay, um, cool. So like, you're going to show up with this army and then get everybody to stop fighting. Cause you control the, you command all of the, the creatures of the ocean. Oh no, you're going to show up with all of the creatures of the ocean and make them fight both sides. Wait, which side are you on? Who are you? Where are you? What is happening? Okay, cool. So you're just going to use a whole bunch of like endangered animals. Um, that being that you're a surface dweller, you're totally aware that like uh dolphins orcas uh but like the whales and stuff like like they uh great white sharks even that like these animals are are significantly endangered (laughs) like like (laughs) like like very 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 precarious um you're just gonna use them as as literal cannon fodder in one of the scenes because you control uh uh a kaiju? Yeah. Oh, well, he's got Cthulhu on his side. Okay. So what else do you need? All, all right, I 
guess like like it's it's so it's such a deus ex machina at the end and one that just flies in the face of of any lessons learned of like no we got to cuz at one point in the movie he is like well we got to we do we do have to have a balance and we do have to take care of the planet and the people and blah 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 and it's all you know we got to stop this fight cuz more people are just going to end up dead and then and then proceeds to just lay waste to thousands of atlanteans um, as well as like like I said, getting many endangered animals slaughtered in the process, um, so that he can have a fight with his half brother at the end, and it's like that's this is not this is not what I would consider um, a cohesive story. No, <laughs> you know what I mean. But it I, was I definitely do. it was definitely fun at parts in in points, and it definitely looked really good. Um, and yeah. I enjoyed watching it, but yeah, it wasn't really again like visually stunning, which is honestly kind of what DC movies do at this point. They're pretty, they're super pretty. Yeah, and that's the, the... It. but that is it, and and they they play on a bit of iconography, but even then, I don't know, man. It just it 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 just it doesn't necessarily do it for me i like man of steel i still think that man of steel is a great movie um i would have liked to have seen them continue that story same uh uh, it's a shame complaint i want man of steel too yeah it's a shame that that they that they derailed it for um uh the the dollar store version of the avengers especially like here's the thing it's in a vacuum is the dceu that bad uh, it's pretty. It's still. Pre- it's still pretty offensive. Uh, it just in terms of like storytelling structure, it's still pretty offensive. It's, but it's in terms awful. of like like getting to see Batman do things that we've always wanted to see Batman do, in terms of like seeing Superman throw down against Zod in a way that like like you really believe that this is basically two gods duking it out in the middle of a city. Um, and obviously there are repercussions to that, but. Um, and should they have gone the Dragon Ball Z route? Probably, right? Of like immediately moving to some barren wasteland so that they can have their fight. But that I don't think that was what Zack Snyder was going for. Um, but but it's not in a vacuum. It is directly compared to the MCU, and because it's directly compared to the MCU, it's always gonna be the lesser, unless it can figure out what the MCU is doing and do that. And I like everybody always comes at me and goes like, but it can't do what the MCU is doing. It's like, yeah, it absolutely yeah, it can. It totally can. Of course in, it can. In fact, the characters in in the DC universe have the capacity to do what the DC or what the MCU does even better. No because argument. Batman, all. Superman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, even uh, are more—they're more iconic than Iron Man was, than the like, than Thor was, than Captain let's, America let's, was, right? But let's not kid ourselves in any way, shape, or form here. The yeah. only reason they they used Iron Man was because there was no one else. They had, the it was all they had the rights to was was yeah. those three characters: Iron Man. 
Captain America and Thor. They didn't yep. even have the rights to the Hulk, which is why the Hulk is a universal film mm-hmm. and disjointed from everything else and why they haven't made another standalone Hulk film. It's why he's in Ragnarok, right? Yep. So that they could actually have a, a, a Bruce Banner Hulk centered story um, without calling it a Hulk movie, right? Yeah. So yeah, the only characters that they had the rights to were all the characters you've never heard of, and then these like four or five D-list uh, Marvel superheroes: yeah. Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Black Widow. Like Hawkeye. the only one of them right. that had any any kind of real traction um, was really Thor, maybe Captain America. Iron Man's biggest storyline before uh, that point was dealing with his alcoholism. That that was like the big deal with Iron Man, and they turned around and they made made an entirely different experience for themselves with um, with the MCU. Um, and DC Marvel was always known for having uh, more down to earth stories, but better art. DC was known for having the better writers. It was the better writers that saw them through the seventies and eighties and nineties. Their stories were more compelling. Um, they were more epic in scope and certainly lent themselves better to massive cinematic endeavors. Um, it's why you got like the Christopher Reeve Superman movies working as well as they did. And even the, the, uh, Michael, Michael Keaton, the, uh, Tim Burton Batman yeah. movies yeah. working as well as they did, or the Wonder Woman TV show. These are iconic characters that tap into fundamental parts of the human consciousness. Uh, Marvel, not so much. But their writers are much better and understand what they're doing. And yeah, it would be it would be dead easy for DC to do what Marvel is doing. Um, but the argument I'm gonna make is gonna make me wildly unpopular. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but it's the reason why they can't. And the reason that they're going to struggle going forward stems out of the AOL Time Warner merger. Hmm. And Ted Turner, for all of his very many faults, was a crazy person who consistently moved in the right direction, which is to say he, he wanted to create good stuff and he didn't care what it cost and he didn't care about a, a corporate infrastructure to support it. Um, he was willing to work stuff on a spit and a handshake and just kind of hope for the best because he was a cowboy and a crazy person. Um, that doesn't exist anymore. The Ted Turner Warner Brothers gave us the Batman animated series. It gave us uh, the Wonder Woman TV series. It gave us Christopher Reeve's Superman. It gave us like a Crisis on Infinite Earths. It gave us... Uh, the Superman animated series. It gave us a, a host of original content that was engaging and interesting and fascinating. And um, again, like I'm not just a comic fan, as noted previously, I'm a wrestling fan. When the AOL Time Warner merger happened, uh, AOL moved some of their executives into the Time Warner Entertainment branch. And those guys ended the Batman animated series. They ended things like Freakazoid or Animaniacs because they didn't get them. They were like, well, we don't understand this and therefore our kids won't. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter that kids really liked them or that the ratings were really high. It was, well, we don't like it. So get rid of it. 
Um, they don't understand what they're doing. These are the same people that came up with the original idea of the uh, the Jack Black fat guy with a power ring Green Lantern movie that uh, is directly responsible for Batman Begins even happening. Um, and they learn consistently the wrong thing um, from any of the successes that come out of their system because they look at the style of the thing and not the substance. They're not interested in substance because substance is hard. Style is easy. You can ape something style forever. You can create echoes of it. And if people no longer like it or turn on a property because you're, you're making it vapid or empty, you can just turn around and say, oh, well, you know, I guess the trend changed. It's nobody's fault. You know, they liked this 5, 10, 15 years ago. They've liked it for 5, 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, but now they don't, so they've moved on. And it doesn't matter how many properties they kill or how many, how many things go by the wayside uh, because they can always grab something else. They can always look at somebody who's doing something small uh, that is working within their system and then promote that and turn it into something larger. Like 300 wasn't supposed to be like the big blockbuster movie. It turned into a big blockbuster movie once Zack Snyder had finished the cut and people saw it and were like, oh my God, this is something special because it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, that movie was never, never supposed to be like what it became. Uh, Man of Steel, um, Batman Begins was definitely not supposed to be what it became. Man of Steel was. Man of Steel was supposed to be like the big blockbuster, the big thing. Um, Batman Begins was like kind of set up to fail, and then they realized that, oh, Christopher Nolan turned in a really good movie. And Christian Bale is really good at this part. And casting Liam Neeson as Rachel Ghoul was inspired, and also that was a really cool twist. The only thing that doesn't really work in that movie is Katie Holmes, <laughs> which is not a slight against Katie Holmes because she's incredible elsewhere. But I don't I don't think they really had anything for her to do in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. She kind of comes across as like Natalie Portman in uh, Dark World, where there's not really anything for her to do either. It's not a knock against Natalie Portman, who's an incredible actress. It's not a knock against Katie Holmes, who's an incredible actress. It's a knock against the scripts in both those, yeah. both those movies. Well, um, I mean, I, I, what's her, what's her character's name? I can't remember her character's name, but uh, Rachel Dawes. Yeah, Rachel Dawes. She's not a character in either of those movies. She is a motivation for for a Batman, um, yeah. and that's 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 her whole purpose in both films, um, and I. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal actually manages to bring a little bit of life to that character in the dark Knight, but, but it's still, um, she's this object for Bruce Wayne and, uh, and, um, two face. What's his, yeah, what's Harvey, his, Dent. Harvey Dent to, um, to, to vie for, right. It's, it's, yeah. she's a, she's a, a plot device to create tension between the two of them. Um, and and that's what like it, that that's that's what we're talking about with that like with with her character sort of being a little bit hollow a little bit empty mm. um and it, i always love it when when um when writers try and make hollow empty women into the um 
like the 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 goddess figure uh, the the obviously it's a hero's journey thing right but it's such a to me it's such a cop-out of like well she's she's his heart (laughs) and it's like well why can't batman just have his own heart like like why why does why does it need to be the quote-unquote woman's touch that makes batman uh, a a caring and gentle person right like because there's Stephen King uh, writes about this. There's a book he wrote called On Writing that is mm. honestly one of the best books on the subject that you'll you'll ever read. Um, and it's this concept that men aren't allowed to feel. Yeah. And it's a cultural thing where you're not allowed to feel anything except anger, and occasionally like a little bit of sadness. But I mean, really, it's it's either anger or stoicism. Yeah. And that's bullshit and it's horribly bad for dudes because we are feeling machines we 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 run on emotional logic yeah um and that's that's okay but when you're not acknowledging it or you're focusing on like one emotional state to the exclusion of all others it is impossibly unhealthy um but women are supposed to be the ones that you know feel and it can feel for their men. And that's not healthy either. It's yeah. a terrible, terrible thing because and this is this is something that I think our culture struggles with and really shouldn't, is women are people too. Whoa, yeah. crazy like, concept. <laughs> I know that that's that's mind blowing to a certain segment of the population. Yeah. But women are people too and they get to do things. And often when you include them in the things that you do, they come up with incredible concepts that make the things cooler. It just, yep. Again, it's been a bit of a week, so <laughs> be over here. Yeah, it, it's a... Uh, it's a really, it's a really interesting element to a lot of these stories, and I do think I actually do think it's one of the reasons why, for my money, best movie in the DCEU so far is Birds of Prey. Oh, God, yes. No and like, And this isn't even... I said this in, in the review when Amanda and I talked about it a couple months back when it came out. It's not even a contest. Oh. I, they, I don't think that any of the other DCEU films come nearly as close to being a complete film. Uh, a a well-told story, an engaging story that actually treats its characters as real people. And yep. it's, you know, of all things, it's in a story centered around Harley Quinn, who mm-hmm. is potentially one of the, the I mean, I, not potentially, I think that Harley Quinn is one of the hardest characters in, the, in DC Comics to get right. And I think that there's a lot of people who try. Mm-hmm. I think that the Harley animated series it's a real valiant effort but it's just not resonant for me it's just not it is it is very much what a guy thinks harley quinn should be so glad you brought this up because i wanted to get into this one as well because i'm having the same like i'm enjoying it yeah, but it's I, not a good Harley Quinn show. I enjoy like it, but yeah, so often I'm just like it's, it's, 
it breaks the fourth wall, but not in the great way that Deadpool does, right? And that's what it's going for. It thinks that it's Deadpool. But it's what you were saying before. You can ape style really easily. You can look at what somebody else does. It's like an outfit, right? You can be scrolling through Instagram and you see some guy uh, or some, some woman in an outfit and you're like, I'm going to buy every single piece of that clothing. Put it on your own body. And if you don't have the 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 vibe, the attitude, the in some instances the build of that person, it's just not going to work as well, right? Yeah. Like it's not, and and that's I uh, uh, when it's I say really body good. type, like it's not even like a body shame sort of thing. It's a nope. it's a it's a vibe and an attitude thing of like own your own thing, right? own who you are, what you do, what makes you the person that people should like, and don't try and just copy another person that is popular, right? So Mm. Deadpool comes along, and you know why Deadpool works? Deadpool works because Ryan Reynolds gets that character, loves that character, and had something to prove with that first movie. Yep. Right? Because he had gotten his opportunity, he got to play that character that he loved, and they just screwed him over six ways from Sunday. Right. Yep. So he came back with, this is what we're going to do. And he puts together the, the, they put together the test footage and the, and that somehow quote unquote leaks. Um, oh yeah. Cause they buried that. That project it, was dead. Yeah. And, and the reason why it resonates, the reason why uh, Harley Quinn resonates, the reason why of the sequel trilogy, uh, The Last Jedi resonates the most, is because the the storytellers had something about themselves to put into it and say, right? There yeah. was some internal element. It's, it is why the, the I think that the Nolan Batman movies do work. It's because Nolan took... The character of Batman and said, I can tell a story with this character. Like there is there is actually a core here to a, like a person. And Dark Knight Rises is the movie that it is for a lot of reasons. But first and foremost, because Heath Ledger died. Yeah. And Nolan had a final act to that story that we'll never get to see because of that and it's it's tragic and so we end up with the dark knight rises which is a fine movie but has it has a lot more problems than the other two um and i'm not like look i i'm not shy about saying like look if you really break down the dark knight the movie makes not a lick of sense but you're not (laughs) supposed to break down that movie you're supposed to just sit and experience it as a roller coaster ride um and and walk away from it with what you walk away from it with interstellar is very similar to me where it's like interstellar. It's actually a lot of Nolan's movies and he tells us, I've talked about this a million times. One of his first major Hollywood movies was the prestige. And Mm -hmm. I hate that he did it so early in his career because he told everybody exactly. He, he let everybody in on the magic trick. I think that the majority of people haven't seen the prestige. So they don't understand what he's doing. In all See, of his I, movies, I but would, I would argue yeah. that that actually allows him to get away with almost everything he's done since. It, it's in in a way it does, except for because the fact it's... that like the, the the magician isn't supposed to reveal their secrets because yeah. once you know how they did it, 
it's all you can see, right? So when yeah. I watch a Christopher Nolan movie, that's why I have absolutely no interest in Tenet whatsoever. Because I know exactly what Tenet will be. Tenet will be an apple in one hand while he pickpockets you with the other, right? Like, look at the apple. Look at the apple. I'm about to do something really cool with this apple. And then at the end of the movie, he'll switch it and go like, I, I took your wallet. <laughs> See, it's funny uh, because – so. Batman Begins was initially supposed to be done by Aronofsky. Yeah. Uh, Darren Aronofsky. And uh, when they took a look at his script and realized it was way too dark, they Darren Aronofsky uh, recommended Chris Nolan. We keep narrowly um, missing that bullet because he wanted to do the same thing with, with Wolverine. And it's like, we just keep it, it, we just keep dodging it. There's an alternate timeline. You'll get it. Cause... So here's oh The Prestige came out, I want to say, at about the same time that The Fountain did. And I would say that both of those movies are about how both of those directors tell stories. Yeah. Everything you need to know about how Christopher Nolan and Darren Aronofsky tell stories is wrapped up in those two films. Their thesis projects. <laughs> here's where things get interesting. Yeah. Christopher Nolan, uh, with his his with his wordplay and his trickery and the style of the thing would actually work really well doing a Marvel movie. He would knock it out of the park. He would completely redefine what a Marvel movie is in a way that I don't think anybody else can. And I think once we get to, I don't know, like what we're on, uh, section four or section five right now uh, we're going into phase five i think phase five yeah um i think once phase five rounds up and they're looking to redefine nolan might be somebody that they turn to or somebody like nolan uh to sort of set up whatever phase six will be with the depth of dc comics with the depth of their characters and what their characters represent as fundamental aspects of the human psyche um, Aronofsky would give us a movie that is like nothing else. And I would, I would love to see that movie. Um, I think Aronofsky could do something that honestly would be genre defining or maybe turn the genre into something that it has never even considered itself as before. And I think Ted Turner would have funded that movie. But I don't know if Warner Brothers AOL will, um, because they don't want to stretch themselves. They don't have the passion to move into something that hasn't been uh, quality controlled, quality tested, because that's that's where they draw. They don't want to do anything too innovative because they don't know well how the market is going to respond to it. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. When you tell a good story, the market responds. And that's why we, we got like the response to something like Harley Quinn, uh, Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey and the uh, fantabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn. Or why when Batman Begins hit and, and the Dark Knight happened, um, people responded to it. If you tell a good story, people will go to see your story and they will talk about it afterwards and they will buy your Blu-rays and your DVDs and they will buy the the toys and the comics that go along with it. Uh, they will buy your video games and they will play them. 
but it's it's hard because it's a risk. Yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, I don't think that I don't think that DC has ever felt like they were until now maybe that they were really out on a ledge, especially at that time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, like. They, they, there was sort of a, a, a bit of an attitude of they could do whatever they wanted, and they did with Batman Begins and and Superman Returns, um, yeah. uh, in in two very different ways, right? Yeah. And I uh, one was real, and one was uh, somebody pretend again. We can't, we keep coming back to this. It's it's aping style, right? Yeah. Superman Returns is movie. yeah. Superman Returns is hollow because it's not what Brian Singer had to say about it. In fact, it's very similar to um, what Abrams has done with Star Wars, where it's like, and, I, and it's why I think that, that The Last Jedi is a much more successful film in terms of like creativity and storytelling than than either of the Abrams Star Wars movies. 100%. Is that, like, if all you're doing is going, I watched the thing really good and I can do it too, mm-hmm. then... That's that's kind of what we're gonna walk away with. I think that the Force Awakens managed to to somehow um, uh, skirt that that pitfall, and I think that that was because Lawrence Kasdan was involved, and Lawrence Kasdan knows Star Wars, understands Star Wars, and wasn't he wasn't copying himself. He was just he was just writing more great Star Wars because yeah. Kasdan is responsible for two-thirds of the original trilogy so when we really think about what the what the original trilogy is we're not actually thinking about what george lucas wrote which is one of the reasons why the prequels feel so disjointed from the original trilogy we're actually thinking about what lawrence kasdan wrote yeah um and really what we're what we're thinking about is what irvin kershner redefined with empire strikes back as as opposed to what george lucas defined with the original star wars if you actually look at the original star wars and then you compare it stylistically to empire and jedi there are similarities but it's there like you can feel the subjectivity start to seep into it mm-hmm. And then he goes back to the prequels and the subjectivity disappears again. And you go back to it com- being a completely objective documentarian style of um, cinematography. And people go like, I don't understand. Why is it just a camera moving down a hallway as these guys talk? And it's like, well, because the, the camera is a passive observer. And you go into the sequel trilogy and you get this completely wildly different take on it. And then with um, Rogue One especially and then and then Solo as well, like you get completely different vibes um, because they move away from from what Star Wars does. It's also why I think Rogue One and and um, and Solo are better at being movies than Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker because because they do have identities, right? Yeah. I don't, we, we I don't like the story of both... Rogue One, but but I don't like the story of Rogue One because the third act is disjointed from the rest of it. But that's yeah. this that's Disney. That was that was a studio getting involved and going, no one's gonna like this Jin Urso character. They really gotta they really have to like her in order for it to matter at the end. It's like actually they don't. The audience really doesn't have to like any of these people in order to feel like their sacrifice was meaningful. Because the point of Rogue One, and I'm sure if you talk to Gary Witta about this, the point of Rogue One was that these guys aren't the quote-unquote heroes. 
of the rebellion, but they are the soldiers of the rebellion, right? Like this is how wars get won. It's not Luke, Leia and Han who are really great poster children for the, for the rebellion. Um, it's not even Mon Mothma or, uh, uh, Wedge Antilles or any of those characters. It's, 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 it's all those nameless, faceless characters in the background that, that die for the cause. Right. And we don't have to like those characters. (laughs) That's not important because they're not they're not the hero's journey heroes. They're they're the ones who actually get in the muck and get the work done, right? Like that I think that was supposed to be the point of Rogue One. That gets lost the second that you have Jin make her uh, uh third act turn uh fr- away from heel fr- to to hero, right? To face mm. and to to use some wrestling terms because she is a heel throughout the whole movie. She's like, "You suck, you suck. I'm not in this for your rebellion. You abandon me. I don't care about any of this stuff. I don't care about you. The empire can wipe out everybody for all I care. You guys killed my father. You did this, you did that." Like she's just such a jerk the whole movie. And then all of a sudden you get to the rebel briefing room and she's like, I'm a stand in for Princess Leia. I think that what we need is hope. And it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you have been hopeless this entire movie. Um, anyways, it's well, no, I, I actually, yes, I, I agree with your assessment. And the Jen Erso character, I think her story is going from a place of hopelessness to hope, but she doesn't need it. I would actually argue that the story would have been more powerful, to your point. Um, if she was doing it knowing that there was no hope for her, per se, Yeah. but that doing this is was important simply because it was the right thing to do. If it, if it, were, if it were almost out of spite mm-hmm. for the rest of the rebellion because of the way that everybody else treats her, yeah. for her to be like, be like, look, uh, you guys aren't listening... You're refusing to act. You're all standing around in this committee saying like, well, no, we can't, we can't be seen supporting the rebellion. We can't, we can't, it's all well and good to talk about this, but we can't actually do something. And for her to go like, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You're all full of it. My father created this flaw in order for you to take advantage of it. And you're refusing to do anything. I'll do it myself. Yeah, how right. dare you? Yeah, like, exactly. How dare you? For her to never have a speech about hope, but for her to, in fact, and I think I would bet that the original version of that scene, because that was one of the major reshoots, the original version of that scene was probably her telling them all where they can stick it, right? Yeah. And going like, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do this myself. And then when Cassian and the rest of the rebels that go with them say, we're with you, Jen. That is so much more meaningful because then it's, it's like, it's like, well, these guys are all, these guys are all soldiers and you're telling them not to fight and you're telling them that it's a cause worth dying for, but you're not willing to do what needs to be done. Right. And then you're not doing anything. Yeah. You're not doing anything. You're You're just sending these people out to die. Well, you're, it's, it's the, it's, it's, it's a matter of the people who, stood by and allowed Palpatine to take to seize power in the first place, continuing to stand by and saying, we can't take action. Right. Um, and for the next generation to say, no, we're not going to allow that. Right. We grew up in this war. 
we're we we're gonna put an you're, end to you're, it. Right? You're still thinking that you can reach across the aisle and talk to these people yeah. because you remember a time when you could. Yeah, exactly. But we don't. Exactly. We don't. Um, we all we know of these people is they have been awful forever. And it's they it's, don't man, play fair, and they're killing us. It's all right there in Rogue One, and it just it falls short of it, and it drives me nuts because I guarantee Gary Witta is such a genius writer. He's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I guarantee that that was in his original intentions. Uh, like that, that first draft probably had a lot of that going on, but star Wars movies are made by committee these yeah. days. Um, DC movies are made by committee. One of the interesting things is that the MCU films, I don't think are made by committee. They are made, made by, by a dictator. Kevin they're, they're, they are one man's unified vision. And if you can't get with that vision, sorry, Edgar Wright, you're a fantastic director. I love every movie you've ever made. I think you're a visionary and you should be heralded as such. But if you can't play nice, with, in, the nice in, the, in the sandbox, then see you later. And that's exactly how that should have happened. And Peyton Reed came in and Ant-Man is an awesome movie. And yeah. it fits in with everything else, and it sets up a character that ends up being one of the main heroes of Endgame, right? So, yeah. it's like it, it, there's there is something to be said for that approach, um, that singular unified vision. And hey, everybody who's going to come in on this project, let's get in line, right? And that's why the we Russos are so successful. The, I, I talk about this all the time. The Russos are TV directors. That's what they do. They're going to mm-hmm. come in and they are going to follow the unified vision because that's how TV directing works as opposed to film directing, which is an auteur's medium, right? Yeah. Kevin Smith wouldn't make a great MCU film. He has no. said that himself. It's not that Kevin Smith isn't a visionary director. I think that Kevin Smith is a genius, right? But yeah. his movies are dialogue driven and they are not action movies. Just because somebody is a great director doesn't mean that they would come in and direct one of those movies great, right? Yeah. It's a, well, no, it's different people. Not everybody can tell. A great writer doesn't necessarily cross over into different mediums and tell great stories. Yeah. Just like a great athlete doesn't necessarily, like Michael Jordan playing basketball is different than Michael Jordan playing baseball. Yeah. Brock Lesnar being in like MMA is different than Brock Lesnar playing football. Um, the skills don't translate just because you can write one, one type of story doesn't mean that you can write another. And that can be tricky and it can be hard for people to understand if they're not enmeshed in the thing specifically with writing because with football, like with a, a physical activity, people go, Oh, okay, well, you know, it's a sport. So you're exercising different muscles and I guess that makes sense. And you know, they have different builds. Um, but with writing, it's the toolbox is a, a lot more ephemeral. Is the word I'm going to run with? I'm probably mispronouncing it. Um, uh, ephemeral, uh, ephemeral, yeah. I think is what you're looking for. Yeah, it, it's not physical stuff. Like you don't see it, um, and you can't show it to other people. You can just show people the finished product of the story you've created, and that's that can be difficult for people to be like well you write good with the the one story why don't you write good with the other one yeah yeah and it works for for film as well like your your visual storytelling might be incredibly good but that doesn't mean that you can tie it together in a cohesive way sucker punch i'm looking at you Mm -hmm. because my god that film is gorgeous but i also like just i can't watch it 
because the movie is horrible. Um, you need people that can work together to tell a cohesive story. You need uh, the people behind George, Luke, George Lucas to tell the original Star Wars. You need them to filter his vision into something that is actually cohesive and manageable. Um, you need people that have a passion for it and are driven by it and are, are kind of a little bit crazy. Um, because otherwise you end up with these paint-by-numbers scripts that will give you less and less on the return of your investment. Um, which is kind of, I think, what we've, we've begun seeing with the cinematic universe of Star Wars since the Disney buyout. Um, I think that there's a little bit more leeway on the small screen, which is why we got things like Rebels and a fifth season of Clone Wars and The Mandalorian, which I think are all fantastic. I think The Mandalorian is kind of the future of live-action Star Wars storytelling. Um, because it allows that universe to breathe. It allows us to see the expanded scope of what it's capable of and the stories that are possible in this massive, incredibly detailed, beloved fiction. And there's, there's a lot of ground to cover there. There's an infinite amount of ground um, in a way that I don't, think any other universe really can because yeah you can do like your hard sci-fi in star wars if you want to uh but you've got your space magic right there there's always going to be a bit of of mysticism inherent to any star wars story and that inevitably makes it about faith um there's i can't remember who said it but there was a writer who who broke down the difference between science fiction fantasy as being um, a question of theme. The idea being that uh, fantasy is about what happens when the characters meet their gods. Science fiction is about uh, when the characters realize they are their gods. And Star Wars does both. Star Wars is completely unique, and this is one of the things that I think makes Star Wars so resonant and so real, is that it, it does have like that, that hard sci-fi element of, oh, this is a lived-in universe where, where everything uh, sort of has a purpose and everything has a place. And I mean, yeah, we've, we've created this space-age technology, but this poor schmuck over here is living in a terrible desert community overrun by gangsters, and his job is to try and get moisture out of the air and then sell it as water. That's horrifying. But at the same time, Here's old Ben Kenobi, the space hermit wizard, um, who, you know, is going to take Luke on the grand adventure uh, because he has a destiny to fulfill, because you have both the, the science and the, the fantastic elements. And that's kind of humanity. We're a weird species, and we're at a weird crossroads right now, and... Again, it's been a week, and you can tell because I'm rambling. I'm trying to get to like a point, and I'm I'm sort of meandering my way to it. Um, the point that I was kind of getting to is is this: The Mandalorian is the future of Star Wars storytelling because it allows you to tell stories that feel real, stories that have a purpose and make sense on a smaller scale that touches a reality, a weight that didn't exist in things like, say, Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker makes no sense. It's not, it's not a good movie. It's 
a visually interesting one, and it finishes the Skywalker saga, and I'm happy it did that. But it's not a good movie. Um, but The Mandalorian is a fantastic show. The Mandalorian is incredible, and it feels like Star Wars. It feels like something that could happen, and despite the fact that that is insane. It feels like a window into an alternate reality where this is a functional thing, a functional space uh, that could be real. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, we've been going forever. We said we were going to do thirty to forty-five minutes, and now we've we've spiraled off into Star Wars territory, which means that we go for another three hours before oh we stop. So I'm gonna I'm gonna cut us there. That's uh, there. I, yeah, the Snyder cut is happening. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Harley all of this boils down to. Um, it's a show that also is happening right now, but the Snyder cut is going to be fascinating. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, will it be a better movie than Justice League? Yes, but I mean, like, you know, you could shoot something on your phone in a weekend and it would probably be better than Justice League because that movie's just harmful to viewers. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, uh, I'm not even going to get into like the super offensive nature of the Flash's character, oh, um, God. and uh, uh, his his uh, super autism. But um, yeah, it's oh, a it's a it's a it's a movie with a lot of flaws. I don't think that that'll be gone. I'm pretty sure that that'll still be in there. Um, Cyborg's entire arc is yeah not okay. Uh, but uh, yeah. I will talk about that stuff as it, as we learn more, obviously we're going to continue talking about justice league and the Snyder cut and the DCEU as we are wont to do on the thunder quack podcast. So I I'll just cut it there and say, thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can go check out all the other great podcasts in the thunder quack podcast network by heading to thunderquack.com. Follow us on Facebook uh, at facebook.com slash thunderquack on Twitter at thunderquackpod and on Instagram at thunderquackpodcast. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at arkwolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F. Aaron, where can people follow you on social medias? Last one, if you're looking for me on Twitter, Aaron Golden writes uh, on Tumblr. Uh, if you're looking for something that's cute to read uh, on Amazon right now, there's a, you, can, you can download an ebook copy of uh, Petrolandia about my time working uh, a graveyard shift at a gas station in just the weirdest, weirdest place. And uh, you can find my writing generally on uh, AaronGoldenWrites.com. Cool. Um, awesome. Well, I uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you like what you heard, you can support us in three ways. First, by going to the podcast service that you're listening on right now and just giving us a rating. Just to give us a little thumbs up or a five stars or whatever it takes to let people know that you like the podcast uh, and that they should give it a try. You can also support us by going to store.thunderquack.com and picking up some merchandise. We just updated with a few new items uh, as well as um, as some new styles for existing designs. So uh, so go there, check that out. Um, and last but not least, you can support us uh, over at patreon.com slash thunderquack and kick in with your monthly pledge uh, and get some cool rewards in the process. 
uh, like our Patreon producers, JJ Samuel and Brian Murowski do every, every, every week. I mean, really, whenever we put out an episode, they get, they get some cool rewards. They get some bonus stuff and they're Patreon producers. And that's why they get a shout out. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash thunderquack. Thank you for listening. And we will catch you next week. Next week.